So, hi Sam and welcome to the Ninja Teacher podcast. Uh, it's nice to have you on it today. We are going to speak a little bit about your story and tell everyone about what you've been going through, your experience of living in Vietnam, moving to Vietnam to teach English and what motivated you to get here and uh, how things are going in general. So, how are you doing today? I'm good. Very good. Always happy to be back here. Yes. <laughs> it's the first place I came to when I moved, so exactly. it's awesome. So you're one of our alumni, yeah. which, uh, what month was that? Um, that was Feb, end of Feb, um, early March, yeah, right. early March yeah. group, yeah. So that was uh, one of our first courses of the year, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of uh, interesting to, to think back to how that's been almost uh, a year from now and, and things are kind of the same but Very also different. have changed a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like this room wasn't, we didn't have this room yet, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So we've expanded a little bit. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. So yeah, just to talk a little bit about your backstory. What, um, first of all, where are you from and where did you grow up? Yeah. So if you can't tell by the accent yet, um, also South African. Um, grew up in Cape Town my whole life. Um, it's the first time I've actually traveled. Um, first time away from home. I spent my whole life studying, I suppose. And I finally got into teaching after doing psychology. And then eventually now I am in Vietnam teaching. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so I also studied in Cape Town and we studied together. Yes. We're studying psychology. Yeah. And I'm, I grew up in Durban, but then I moved to Cape Town to study. Yeah. And did you move to around the campus when you were studying? Or? Uh, no, no. I still stayed at home and yeah. used to commute every day. Yeah, probably safer that way. <laughs> what area was that? I grew up in the northern suburbs, yeah. so uh, Bordesach. Okay. Yeah. So anyone from South Africa might not even know that, but no one from yeah. Azaz, South Africa will know that place. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Behind the Budapest curtain, they say. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I stayed by the campus. I uh, stayed in residence yeah. when I was studying there. And then we took a class together in psychology. I think it was, uh, was it social psychology? No. It was research. research psychology. Yeah. yeah. Which was, if that was your major, you had to do research psych, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's not my favorite no, subject. not yeah. at all. Uh, what did you like most in psychology? I think um, I've always had a fascination with medicine, so, but I'm really not good at math, so that's why, hence psychology. And I think also it was, there were so many different branches you can go out into in psychology. Yeah. You know, whether it's working with kids or working with adults, um, and yeah, to me, I always tell people as a joke, like it's just the chicken root out of medicine. The closest you're going to get to medicine, but also not as intense as medicine. Okay, yeah. yeah. But then you went on and did your honors, right? Yes, in psychology. Yeah. I so did, yeah. at that point I was like, oh, I think I'm done for now with studying. <laughs> and I went to teach in South Korea actually after that. Well, it took a year and then I went to go yeah. teach. Uh, what did you do your honours in? So I did my honours in uh, clinical psychology, counselling psychology. Um, yeah, and I did that part-time um, whilst um, just all pairing and working with kids. Yeah, already starting to work, but not studying full-time anymore. Yeah. Yeah, so then obviously around that time you had some kind of interest in going into 
working with kids and teaching to some degree or, or um, how would I put it, just helping yeah. children, right? Yeah, I've always, I've always had a love and passion for kids. And after studying psychology, I thought I would never be able to work with kids in that kind of capacity. Um, you know, whether it was abused or traumatized or, you know, any kind of um, psychological issues. Why not? Um, I don't know. I think because I love them that much. Right. It's you know, difficult, it's very, very difficult because yeah. it's not something you can just switch off from yeah. and just go home and, you know, climb into bed and sleep. So, and I remember everyone actually telling me, you're going to, you know, you're going to be a teacher one day. And I said, I'll never be a teacher. Come on. You know, I've got... I've got two degrees already behind my name. There's no ways I'm going to go study teaching, and there's no ways I'm going to do a teacher. I'm going to, I'm going to work somewhere. I'm just not sure where yet. And then, yeah, hence now I'm here teaching. Right. So everyone else is laughing and said, I told you so. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, my mom is a clinical psychologist, and she, um, she just worked with normal people quote yeah. unquote and it's difficult enough right yeah. taking on their problems exactly. but I think um, children with special needs and, and all that can be quite difficult but we're going to talk about that a bit because yeah. I think this is going to be the title of the podcast special education in Vietnam yes. but then how did you go from uh, you know studying what you did into teaching specifically okay so while I was doing my honors um, I started seeing the need for special education, um, especially in autism. Autism um, is quite a big industry, especially back home, and I'm sure globally at this point. Um, and they were looking for people studying psychology or have studied psychology to train them to work one-on-one -on -one with autistic kids, um, where it's play-based type of therapy. You go to their home, um, you work through a program with them, And so, yeah, so while I was finishing my honours, I was doing that, um, as well as working in the afternoon, you know, just all pairing and babysitting and everything. Um, and when I got a full-time position um, facilitating a young boy with autism, my, the boss at the time said to me, um, yeah, you should do your teaching diploma. You should definitely do it because, you know, you're natural. So, yeah, and that's... So it's from the autism facilitation that I got into teaching and learned the curriculum and then actually started my um, PGCE. Yeah. Right. So for those that don't know, PGCE is like the teaching license in South Africa. And I think it's in the UK as well. Um, yeah. It's quite quite common uh, in other countries. I think in the US, they don't have a yeah. PGCE. So you can do a PGCE if you have um, a previous degree that's with recognizable teaching subjects. Okay. So my first degree was obviously psychology and I studied English. So English and psychology, both teachable subjects. Right. So I only had to do a PGCE instead of doing a B.Ed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you don't have to do a full degree. And actually a lot of people... Uh, who come out to start teaching English in yeah. Asia and really like it, they go on to do a PGC so that yeah. they can start working at international schools and kind of further their education and not only teach ESL but teach different subjects. Yeah. Yeah, so, and you can also do uh, distance learning. And that's what yes. a lot of people are doing while they teach English here, which yes. is quite cool. Yeah, no, I did a distance because I was already working at a school at that time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I did it part-time. Um, very tricky, but at least most of, um, I think, 
most of everything that I did came from doing it in practice rather than from a textbook. Yeah. So it made it, it made studying a lot easier, definitely, you know, because you actually put in practice. I think a lot of teachers are, you know, book trained and they don't get that experience in the class. And once they get thrown into a class, they, you know, it's quite scary. Yeah. They don't prepare yeah. you for that. <laughs> I mean, we're totally aware of that. And yeah. you can see it with people that have come in, like yourself, to do one of our programs and yeah. has a little bit of experience or, or lots of experience versus someone who has never taught. It yeah. can be they get up there and they're like, oh, what's going on? Yeah. You know, and that's normal. But um, yeah, you can't just learn theory. Yeah. and then expect to suddenly be a good teacher, right? Definitely. So it's that combination of learning how to be a good teacher plus applying it in practice. Yeah. It's interesting that it's play-based for autism children. Uh, that, that's how the learning... Yeah, well, um, obviously age-dependent. Um, I started working with really young kids that were non-verbal, so they weren't able to talk yet at the age of three, four years of age. Um, so doing little activities, but also using the ABA method. Um, and yeah, I've had some really awesome experiences. I had one boy who never spoke at all. And after eight months working with me, he was speaking and he went into a mainstream, you know, daycare. So it was great. That's nice. So because, I mean, autism, people know the term but not everyone knows what it is. Uh, from my understanding, uh, there's autism spectrum disorder yeah. as well. And previously there was Asperger's, which was a less severe form of autism, but now that's not actually in the DSM anymore. Yes. Uh, diagnostic, diagnostic statistic. Manual. Manual, yes. yes. The Bible for psychologists and psychiatrists, right. yes. So this is a bit of a <laughs> side point for anyone that might be interested. And my understanding of autism is it's a de developmental disorder yeah. that affects um, interpersonal skills as well as um, the ability to kind of uh, understand other people's, um, how would I put it? Um, understand where they're coming from. Yeah. This is very colloquial terms, obviously. Yes. How would you describe it? Okay, so obviously depending on the severity, um, yeah. it's, there's three distinct markers. It's um, gross motor movement. So you'll find um, some kids aren't crawling properly or some of them don't even walk until the age of five or six. Mm. Um, and then you have the speech delays. So a lot of them are nonverbal um, or kind of nonsensical speech. Um, I've heard parents telling me, like, you know, their parent, uh, as to them as parents, they find their children speaking, you know, some kind of weird language. Even though they're English and they're brought up English, they're like, my child's speaking Portuguese. So don't know where he came from. Um, so they don't realize that it's actually, it might be a marker for autism. So they either have the mutism, which they don't speak at all, or they just speak nonsensically. And then I think, yeah, the, the most distinct form um, would be the social, the social aspect of it. Um, so lack of empathy, um, very rigid, not flexible at all, unable to read body language, um, unable to pick up on humor and sarcasm and all of that, which, you know, is a big part of our everyday life. So, um, yeah, they usually have quite a few troubles making friends, being in relationships. Um, yeah, they become 
very overwhelmed, very anxious. So you'll see these meltdowns occur. And to other people, they might just think, oh, it's a naughty kid having a tantrum in a shop. But they literally cannot filter out any noise or um, any of their senses. Everything is heightened for them. Yeah, so, so it's trying to protect themselves. Yeah. Mm. Quite funnily, um, Amy Schumer, do you know her? Yes. The comedian, she talks about her husband having uh, been on the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, have you seen her comedy on that? I haven't, actually. It's quite funny because she, she, she makes light of it. Obviously, it's a serious thing, yeah. but he was only diagnosed late in life, so yeah. obviously it was a less severe form of it. Um, uh, but she says things like he's just so blunt and direct yes. that she can always rely on him to say, to be honest. Yeah, they can't lie. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I, I think something that she conveyed and that probably needs to be conveyed a lot is that um, just because of those issues doesn't mean it's not a person that has the same kinds of needs as us, like everyone else, yeah. right? And I think you can quite easily look at someone and think that because they have some difficulties in certain areas, that they're lesser in some way. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of just setting things up for, you know, what we're going to talk about here in Vietnam. Um, But let's go back for a second to uh, from that point. So you were teaching, you had the full time job and you were Mm -hmm. finishing off your PGC. Uh, what next? So after doing the PGCE, um, I actually got a post at the school I was working at. And it was um, a school started by an amazing woman who literally started a school in her house. Um, she was working in mainstream education, um, foundation phase teaching, so grade R to grade 3. And um, she saw this need for all these kids, you know, the one or two in the crowd that aren't getting that attention. So her dream was to just quit the whole thing, open up her own little school in her house and just teach, you know, five or six kids. So when I started with her, there was five or six kids. um, And I stayed with her until I finished my PGCE and started teaching with her. That school now is over 100 kids, if not 150 kids by now. Um, And small classrooms, so only like five, six kids Mm. per class. And each kid that came there had come from mainstream and just didn't quite fit in. Whether it was a special need like autism, whether it was just some kind of anxiety, um, even learning disorders like um, dyslexia, dyscalculia. So all these kids were coming from mainstream, you know, looked like they were failing subjects, um, really having a terrible time, all being diagnosed and put on medication. And then they would come to us and we would actually teach them in their specific grade. So I was a grade one teacher for about three years and teaching the grade one curriculum as well as seeing to their individual needs at the same time. So a lot of intervention, a lot of remedial, um, yeah, a lot of reading, a lot of talking to doctors and psychologists and parents, like, daily. So, yeah, that's where I got most of my experience from. Wow. That must have been difficult work, but also rewarding, right? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, 
people said, wow, you only have five or six in the class. It's amazing. Mm. And I'm like, yeah. But when each one has a specific learning need um, or an emotional need or a social need, you are, yeah, you feel like you're teaching 600, you know. Um, but the parents really, they were just so grateful. You know, although um, the job itself is very demanding and the parents are looking to you for answers as well, um, I found that, you know, when it came around to the end of the year and you got to say goodbye and things like that, it was actually very, very... You don't realise how emotionally invested you get in these kids' lives, yeah. you know, because... Um, and this is, like, basically for all teachers. If you've taught, you know, full day every day, you are, like, a mom, a doctor, a nurse, a policeman, a security guard, <laughs> yeah. and their best friend all in one, you know, right. so it's hard to juggle, but it's just a very, yeah, it is very rewarding in that sense, yeah. How did the parents find out about the school? Um, so, yeah, like I said, the school started very early, um, just out of this lady's house, and then it started expanding, and then it just started getting out word of mouth. Yeah. Um, people are still attached to this kind of stigma. Um, I don't want to put my child in, like, a special school, you know, which is ridiculous. If your child has needs, just do what's best for them. But this school hadn't got that reputation yet. Um, And even now, it's not advertised as a special school. It's um, It's just more accommodating to kids who don't fit into mainstream or that are struggling to get into mainstream schools because of their difficulties. Um, so yeah, basically word of mouth. We didn't do a lot of advertising, um, and yeah, within about four years, two campuses next door to each other, from grade R all the way to high school. Yeah, so it grew. Yeah. So word of mouth, and I mean, South Africans are very open people in a lot of ways. Open yeah. to uh, different things. We're multicultural. We've had. A tough history, um, you know, South Africans, I think, are resilient too, and they are willing to um, look at things from fresh perspectives. Um, so I can see that being a lot of parents being open to that. Would you say what kind of uh, socioeconomic backgrounds were the parents and the kids from? Was it a mix? Well, um, it was pretty much a mix. Unfortunately, you know, and this is probably a global thing as well, I don't know, I don't want to generalise, but um, any form of intervention you need for your child, whether it's medical or psychological or therapy-based, medical-based, you are looking at, you know, big lump sums of money. So it's usually those parents who can afford a, a, you know, a a specialised school um, and can afford to put their kids on medication or take their kids to therapy, um, and to get them the right help. Um, it shouldn't be like that, but unfortunately it is. Um, it is quite a big money-making scheme from my point of view. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's readily available, but I think also if you have the time and you have the money, yeah. Right. Yeah, in South Africa there's a huge difference in price between public schools and private schools. Oh, yeah. And I can imagine uh, any kind of special needs thing would be quite expensive too. So with that being said, what then made you make the move to teaching abroad and in Vietnam? Sure. Um, Kind of like an eat, pray, love (laughs) mission. 
Um, got to a point where, okay, I've got three degrees now, I'm turning 30, what do I do now? Um, and so it was kind of in, in that regard, you know, a personal decision to move. Um, also, because I've never traveled. I spend my whole life behind books, you know, and in classrooms. So just wanted to get out there. And I think I got to a point as well working with um, kids, um, especially in South Africa, seeing how literally every single child, not just those I worked with, but like friends and family members and things like that with kids, saying, oh, you know, my kid's diagnosed with this, my kid's diagnosed with this, and this medication and this medication and this doctor. And it just became... That's, that was the new norm. Everyone was medicated. Everyone was in some form of therapy. It's like no one could cope anymore. And I thought, I wonder how the other half of the world lives. I was very interested to see a different side of things, right. you know, and hence coming here. I think, the, I think coming to the East, you, it's, it's very different to the West. Um, things aren't viewed the same. You know, everything's a little bit more natural in a sense. So, yeah, hence why I moved here. <laughs> okay. So, when you moved here, what were your first impressions of Vietnam? Um, gosh, it was absolute chaos, um, but, like, amazing at the same time. Um, so, like, you know, just I remember climbing in the car on the way from the airport, you know, to my hotel and just seeing cars and bikes everywhere and it's just like wow and waking up just seeing a million people a million bikes everywhere and the noise but then after a few days it just became the new norm and it's actually I can't imagine this place ever being quiet right. <laughs> ever um, yeah it's, it's got this charm about it you know it feels very still like kind of native Vietnam, but also very up and coming, you know, very populated, lots of things in and out all the time. So it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like the food? I do. I really do like the food. I'm not that um, experimental when it comes to like chicken feet and snails and stuff, <laughs> but um, I always take pictures and send them to my dad. He gets excited. So... <laughs> And you joined our program and yes. came through us, met everyone, and um, how did you enjoy it? I loved it. I loved it. It was such a nice way to get settled um, and to obviously make friends and um, to just get to know the customs around you, just to have that support, I think, because I came over, you know, no family, no friends, um, by myself. So it was nice to kind of be eased in um, to the whole process, which is nice. Um, what you guys do is, you know, not just the teaching-based things, but also the, the support network that you develop. It's really, really helpful, yeah. Right, yeah, and that's one of the things. It's all very well to just run a good training, but you also need that support if you're yeah. moving to a new country, right? Because yeah, there's definitely. so much, so many little things that you don't know until you're here and then you're thinking oh where do I go get that sim card or yeah. uh, how do I cross the road yes exactly <laughs> so, yeah and then when it came to the actual training um, how did you find the teaching English was different to teaching special needs like you had and, and just teaching in general like teaching subjects versus yeah. teaching ESL yeah so with ESL I found that um, 
you were focused more on one specific subject, like English, um, whereas back home, foundation phase, you're teaching about four or five subjects. Um, so it was a lot more specialised, a lot more technical in some ways. I found that um, it was also very play-based and game-based, which is nice, yeah. that you're not stuck to a specific curriculum as like a normal school teacher. Um, it was a lot more fun and interactive, which I really enjoyed. And it was, um, it was quite daunting, I'm not going to lie, because you think, I've been a teacher for so long, I can teach anything. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, you come to a new country, different culture, different lifestyle. So you've got to kind of change the way you look at, at education and the way you teach and the style in which you teach. Yeah, yeah you have to adapt it. Yeah. Um, you know, you won't necessarily get rid of your usual style of teaching, but you also need to learn different techniques to teach a language because yeah. that's also different to teaching a subject. Yes. It's a lot of activities, like you said, um, it's very engaging uh, and it has to be to keep, especially young learners yes. and, you know, people that are, or children that are not necessarily wanting to be there to yeah. do all that extra learning because it's sometimes after hours yeah. and they're going to English centers that their parents send them to to learn English. So it's, um, it's harder to motivate them sometimes, but yeah. also if you're creative about it, then you can get them interested and get them engaged. Yeah. Definitely. And there's a lot of on your toes kind of thinking, you know, yeah. which is also really fun. I enjoy that because you, you can plan as much as you want and then realize those plans go out the window within five minutes. Yeah. So it teaches you like a lot more flexibility um, because you're only there for a specific time and you only you have to get through what you meant to get through. Whereas with other teaching, you have the whole day. Mm. Um, you know, you have like your eight to two or eight to three schedule. And, you know, if something's not working right now, it's fine. We come back to it later. You can catch it up tomorrow or whatever. Yeah. And ESL is very different to that, yeah. Did you enjoy it compared to the teaching you'd done before? I did. I really did enjoy it. I remember with the demo lessons, I got to teach adults, which is the first time I've ever got to teach adults. That was very interesting. And then teaching, you know, little ones that are just so energetic yeah. um, and just so excited. Um, like I said, I've been teaching in small groups my whole life or one-on-one. -on -one. So to have a class of like, you know, 20 little kids running around is also it's overwhelming, but it's also incredibly enjoyable yeah. because you kind of feed off that energy and it's a lot of fun. Um, and teaching adults, I really enjoyed as well. Um, I found that they were a lot more motivated um, you could have full-on conversations with them. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely a new perspective to, to teaching for me. Yeah, the age range. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to worry about classroom management as much with adults because yes. they just want to learn. Yeah. Children, obviously, uh, if they're big classes, then yeah. you have to be quite s smart about how you uh, manage the, the classroom and set up rules and... Yeah. Um, classroom management strategies to make sure that they don't go crazy and yeah. are just running all over the place. Um, yeah. So straight after the course, I, I don't remember exactly, but did you do some uh, ESL teaching before you got your current job? or? Um, I, I've never really got into ESL teaching. I was looking for um, 
kind of what I had back home, um, kind of like a Monday to Friday thing and a yeah. fixed schedule. Um, my friends here, you know, do the mornings and afternoons or evenings at different language centers. Um, so I went on a bunch of interviews. I was very selective with my time. Yeah. Um, took a lot of time to make the right decision, find the right job. And, um, yeah, tried out a few things, you know, did some cover work here and there and um, did some demo lessons and, you know, tried to get as much experience before making a big decision. Um, and, yeah, and now I currently have an amazing job. <laughs> so time was, yeah, time wasn't kind to me. It took a while to find it, but um, eventually I did, yeah. Yeah, and that's the job that uh, I really want to hear about. Um, so, and also interestingly, there are more and more different types of jobs in Vietnam because when I first taught in South Korea, the only jobs were for foreigners were teaching English and typically at uh, what they call hagwons, which are the private English academies, which yeah. are the same as English centers here. That's pretty much the only job you could get as a foreigner. Uh, maybe you could get up into like a more management position in the yeah. English center uh, or you could go through the public school program. Here, on the other hand, while the majority of jobs are the same, they're at English centers or public schools, daytime schools, um, I think more and more there's this movement towards different types of schools. Like, for yeah. example, we have um, one of the schools that we work with and we uh, place teachers in is a school that brings in the STEM methodology yes. Um, yes. and then they add in the A, um, which is, I keep forgetting, it's not activities, it's, um, you know, by any chance? No. Um, I only know the STEM as in um, science, technology, engineering, maths. Yes. And now it's STEAM? Yes. <laughs> the A is something practical. I, I forget now, but okay. exactly. So more and more jobs, like if yeah. you've maybe studied science, there's an opportunity yes. to teach science here. Um, I mean, we don't really like get people's hopes up if they are wanting that uh, specifically because the majority of jobs are teaching English. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably what you're gonna start with and, and get, but it's really cool that you're able to look around and find something that you wanted to, um, the kind of work that you wanted to do. Yeah. So do you want to tell everyone a little bit about that position? Yeah. So um, I'm now working with a company called ITG, um, International Tutoring Group, um, owned by um, a British gentleman. And he's also a qualified teacher, taught uh, many years back in the UK, um, moved here to Vietnam, um, been here for six years, I think he said, and he was teaching um, at the international schools around Vietnam. And then he opened up the center, which is one-on-one -on -one based tutoring. And the tutoring that we do there is all levels, um, from the early years all the way up to, um, they do like IB levels, A levels, um, all that. Um, it's the Cambridge system. Okay. So it's a science, maths, um, chemistry, you know, English, literature, um, you name it. Um, we have it and we do one-on-one -on -one tutoring, yeah. Okay. So it's great. And is that at the center, the, the children and all the age, or the range of ages, they come in? Yeah. So they come in after school hours, so usually from about 3 o'clock it picks up. 
Um, and they do, we have one hour sessions um, one on one with kids. Okay. Yeah. What age range of children? Um, so we have as young as five, six years of age, um, all the way up to, you know, um, 18 years of age, you know, when they're leaving school and writing final exams and things like that. Yeah. Got it. Nice. So what do you like about this uh, position? Because you seem very excited about yeah. it whenever we talk about it. <laughs> it's exciting because you get to work one-on-one. Um, -on -one. And I think that is something that a lot of kids um, and parents probably can't afford. Um, especially if you have a specific need or you are really struggling or you need to, you know, get through certain exams. Um, I know with the international schools, you know, these kids are wanting to go and travel internationally, um, maybe move away from Vietnam. So there's a lot of pressure on them to get, you know, certain grades. And we focus on that, you know, quite strictly that, you know, that one-on-one -on -one, um, academic support that we give them is also like a mentorship so we're there for them, you know, we support them, we yeah. build their confidence and things like that, which you can do. You can build a real relationship right. when you're working one-on-one -on -one with kids. So, yeah, that's I mean, nice. it does make a big difference. Very yeah. personal and yeah. supporting them by being there as someone that uh, they know has their back kind yes. of thing. Yes. Yeah, nice. So how many hours do you typically teach? So um, we only teach from 3 o'clock. Well, me personally, I teach from about three o'clock till about half or seven. So it's actually only four, five hours of teaching per day. Um, and then I come in also a bit earlier to do planning and um, to do some admin for my specific position, which was created um, first time <laughs> in the company. A position that was specifically created for me. Yeah. Nice. So why don't you tell me about that and why that position was created? Okay, so um, I originally went for the interview to do um, literature tutoring. Um, as I said, my first degree was in literature and psychology. And they said to me, oh, well, we see you have special needs education training and you've worked your whole life type of thing in this field we actually want to open up a department for that and start catering for these kids that come to us that might be ADHD, show signs of dyslexia, um, or have certain kind of social behavioral problems, um, and someone who can also train our current tutors on what to pick up um, and what to look out for, how to look for support, um, how to help them. So they've given me the position of um, a special educational needs specialist. Nice. And so although I'm teaching, I'm also, we, we're starting to look out into the community, introduce myself to different schools, um, different centers to kind of show face and say, if you need extra support, this is who you can come to. You know what I mean? Without being formally diagnosed, without being yes. thrown on tons of medication, just that one-on-one -on -one interaction once or twice a week where I can assist, you know, your child in, you know, helping them with whatever issues they might have at school, yeah. That's great, especially the approach that you're taking with that because I think that um, this is probably the, the biggest thing that needs to be addressed is yeah. that there isn't much awareness uh, in, yeah. in Vietnam about special needs. So coming into it from a point of view of, um, the parents just seeing that their children are struggling yeah. and just thinking 
of it as, okay, we're going to do something to help them improve, right? And I think that's a, a good starting point. Um, so how do you find that, from your experience, um, parents of children here uh, view special needs and, and that do they recognize it or not that much compared to other countries? Um, to be honest, I came from, I think, a culture where it was over-recognized to now coming to the other side of the world where it's not recognized at all. Um, so to, like I said, my, my job is not to want to diagnose kids or label them. Um, it's more about just educating the parents. Like, you know, um, yeah, your, your kid may be struggling with this or maybe cannot do this. Doesn't mean they're not going to be able to get through school doesn't mean they are you know never going to have a job one day um, you just have to find a way in which to work with it and work around it and so at this point it's just about getting word out there and getting them educated around these topics and that it's not a stigma you know it's not a mental handicap in any way it's not going to hinder them from living a normal life like everyone else yeah. um so, yeah, I know a lot of kids that I work with now, um, international kids, so kids from other parts of the world, um, if they've got diagnosed, they've got diagnosed in other Asian countries, like, um, you know, Hong Kong and Singapore and things like that. If their parents are, you know, wanting a diagnosis, they would go to those countries. Right. Um, but in Vietnam itself, um, it's not that recognized yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah um, I had a... A situation where you know we, we had someone with some mental um, issues where we spoke to a psychiatrist and and we we're just trying to get him some help um, and the psychiatrist yeah he was a foreign psychiatrist and he was talking a little bit about how people and mental health even is um, thought about here and there is a mental health hospital here yeah. in Ho Chi Minh City, but apparently it's very far behind what you would uh, expect in a, another country. And yeah, kind of like girl interrupted old school. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. uh, I mean, I don't know how, how bad, but yeah. you don't want to, um, I don't want to say anything I don't really know, but yeah. what comes to mind is kind of the... Asylum from yes. Batman or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> American Horror Story. <laughs> yeah. Um, so even when it comes to mental health issues, it's not yeah. really um, recognized that well. Yeah, and it's I'm still sure. stigma. Definitely and a stigma. stigma. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So have you got some students so far that have been coming to you in, in this specific role? Yeah, I do. Um, mostly younger kids. Um, because that's obviously where my specialization is. Um, I've got a, a host of kids, um, mostly with dyslexia. I've got some with dyscalculia as well as um, ADHD. What is yeah. the second one that you said? Oh, dyscalculia. Yes, what is that? Ooh, um, in layman's terms, the inability to do maths. Okay. But um, a lot more tricky. Yeah, right. I'm more trickier than that, yeah. Okay. Cool. Just, uh, I was interested. I, I think I'd heard it, but I wasn't quite sure what it was. Yeah. So, uh, children with uh, those kind of range of things there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And how's it been working with them? Very good. Yeah. Very good. Um, you know, obviously exhausting. 
because now you're spending an hour one-on-one -on -one, yeah. and you think an hour probably flies by. Um, it's, it can be quite challenging, especially with a very young child. Mm -hmm. So I've got like six, seven-year-olds. So to get them focused for an hour um, and to stay focused for an hour is quite difficult yeah. when it's just them alone. Yeah. You know, they don't have peers um, to, to kind of play with and chat with and discuss yeah. things with. So um, it is a lot more challenging. I think, you know, tutoring at that age, um, yeah, the attention span is almost non-existent. Um, so, yeah, it has got its challenges, but it's also very nice. Um, like I said, because you really get to know them one-on-one. -on -one, um, you get to kind of, you know, chat with them and joke with them, and you can be more silly, and you can actually just enjoy them instead of just pushing up results like a normal teacher, you know, you have reports and you want to see how your kids are doing, whereas, yeah, yeah, you still got those reports you need to do, but at the same time, you are facilitating so much more um, for just that one little hour, you know, once, maybe twice a week. Yeah, yeah so yeah. I was taking some Vietnamese lessons that were one-on-one, -on -one, yeah. and I was the student, and an hour is a lot to concentrate and, oh, yeah. and focus um, so I can imagine that being quite challenging, but also it was the most effective uh, sessions of learning Vietnamese that I've ever yes. had, just because it's so personal and one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. So I can imagine that working really well. Yeah, and it is. I mean, I, I can't imagine myself standing up in front of a class and just seeing you know, one or two in the back there like struggling and me not actually having the time to actually get to them and to really seat them. Um, like I said, I've never taught um, your mainstream kids ever. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely something that, you know, I like the challenge. I really like the ones that aren't being seen to in class, the ones that, you know, I get told that oh, they're just, they, you know, unbearable or they're naughty or, you know, whatever. Um, and once you've worked with them and you really get to know them, you realize, you know, what, they're just kids. You know, they're just looking for some help and some guidance. Some of them can't even um, express themselves properly, you know, so they do come across in a, in a big classroom um, filled with noise and, and, and chaos. They probably do come across as naughty and, yeah. and all that, but they're actually just misunderstood. Exactly, yeah. and naughty is one of the, the most misunderstood ways that children act, yeah. and that's one thing that Kyle always says is that uh, the naughty students, the class clowns, yeah. are actually often the smartest ones yeah. because they, uh, you know, they just are bored, right? Yeah. Or they're really struggling, and they, you know, that's their yeah. um, the way that they deal with it is, yeah. you know, just act in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you think um, is kind of the future of? the direction that Vietnam's going in with special ed and I mean this is really interesting and cool that a company is is doing this and what else do you think can be done and where <clears throat> do you think things will go from here? Yeah, well ideally like I said um, the international schools do have some facilitation in special needs but again that's international schools and we have a, a wide range of various public schools that need the same intervention. So I think um, what I would like to do and, and get other, you know, hopefully other people would join in um, is, like I said, educating, spreading the word, 
um, getting people to recognise the signs of special needs in children or special learning needs in children and you know, getting them that, that help that they need. Um, I don't believe that it should cost that much money. I don't believe you should be going to fly to different doctors and hospitals all over the world to get a diagnosis. I think it's literally just about having someone who understands and able to support them so they too can like, you know, reach their potential. Um, it takes one person to literally just sit with them and really support them. But it has to start from adults, and I think adults need to be educated in it before we can start educating children you know, about these issues. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it is, it is an, an ongoing problem in the world, and it is on the rise. So keeping your head in the sand and, and not looking and pretending that it doesn't exist isn't going to help because it's just going to keep growing. Yeah. yeah. I think the big opportunity for spreading awareness is young adults because yeah. uh, not to say uh, old dog can't learn a new trick and, yeah. <laughs> and older people can't become more aware about it, but I think from what I've seen of younger generations in Vietnam yeah. and in Asia in general, um, they're a lot more open to different ways of thinking about things yes. and, and open to new knowledge and stuff like yeah. that. So somehow getting that to them, especially young adults that are soon going to become fathers and mothers, yes. parents, um, because then they can be aware of if that's something that their children, when they grow up, are, are affected by. Yeah. One thing that's also quite interesting is from something I learned in psychology, which, you know, you don't you learn a lot of things, but one of the things that you do is you learn like the meta understanding of why things like a diagnosis takes place. And a diagnosis isn't to say there's something wrong with someone, it's yeah. to identify the things that are indicators of something that can be treated. And by yes. diagnosing someone, you put them into a category that can be treated, because yeah. if you don't do that, you can't know what to do and what effective yeah. um, techniques and, and methods and medication or whatever yeah. it is uh, can take place. And I think that's something people don't understand. Yeah. They either just don't know that or they think that it's um, being diagnosed is a very negative thing when in fact it's a positive thing. Yeah, um, no, it is definitely. And if more people understand that, then yeah. they won't be scared to say that they're diagnosed or their children are diagnosed yeah. and uh, they won't think it's the end of the world. In fact, it's a positive yeah. thing. Yeah, my, my biggest concern is just, you know, when diagnosing children, um, you know, children are growing and developing daily. So to put a label um, on a kid at such a young age can be, you know, you can see the problems with that. Right. Um, also, the child might also develop and, and come to understand um, you know, about that disorder or about their issues. And, you know, that creates a whole, you know, a whole nother realm of types, different types of anxiety and shame. Yes. So um, when it comes to working with kids, like I said, I personally don't diagnose, um, A, because I don't have a master's, <laughs> but B, um, I like to also see how the kid develops. Um, because I've seen kids that have been diagnosed ADHD when in fact they're not ADHD right. they just have severe anxiety vice versa um, 
I've seen kids that are autistic on the spectrum and I've seen ADHD kids and some of them look almost exactly identical. So it's very, very tricky realm. Um, but yeah, like I said, education needs to come first. I think educating young adults, parents, um, people who, or just adults in general, working with kids or just involved with kids on any kind of basis, they need to be aware of these issues and be able to kind of try and identify, not sit there and go, oh, 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 my child's not crawling, you know, they're autistic, you know, not to get too scared, but at the same time just to know some of the key um, um, points to it and be able to identify it. And like you said, after that, that is when the real intervention comes and the real help comes after that. And, yeah, to get rid of that stigma, you know, there's nothing wrong with your kid. Your kid is different, and that's actually great, you know. Yeah. Your kid doesn't exactly. fit in the box. That's great. All the best people yeah. don't fit in boxes. <laughs> Look at Einstein. I yeah. mean, he, he was just this amazing man. He was completely dyslexic, and um, he thought in pictures, apparently. Wow. Very, very odd character. Um, they thought he was going to fail school because he just did not fit in the box. Right. And one of the greatest minds of our time. Exactly. I also like um, Richard Branson's story and yes. his autobiography because that was one of the first books on entrepreneurs that I read. And um, as someone who's like interested in entrepreneurship and all of that, just seeing that he was, he was one of those cases where the teachers told him he would amount to nothing, yeah. which I don't know where these teachers come from that tell yeah. people they're going to amount to nothing because yeah. that's like the worst thing you could possibly no, do. No, it's, uh, it's I don't horrible. know who these teachers are, but <laughs> you hear about it a lot. So yeah. Hopefully that not as many teachers are doing that these days, but um, he was just, he was the typical ADHD yeah. type person. But then he goes on and goes on to harness that and start multiple companies, yes. you know, he, he's a billionaire, but that's yeah. not what's important. He is a creator and he yeah. harnessed his abilities uh, to go ahead and, and do some incredible things. But because of being a little bit different in the beginning, people yeah. thought that he, uh, there was something wrong with him and yeah. he wouldn't be able to do anything. Yeah. And often um, children with autism have a very high IQ. It's not not always, but not sometimes. Always, but yeah, it definitely. Is. Even um, ADHD kids. Mm. Um, speaking to a professor about ADHD um, back home in South Africa, basically ADHD is just an over-effective brain. Mm. Um, and the same with autism. You know, they can't filter out information. They feel, see, hear every single thing instead of filtering it out. Mm. Um, so everything is just heightened for them. And a lot of them find um, a specific obsession um, certain key interests and then yes. they focus on that and they become and they will become the absolute best at it yes. whether it's music um, whether it's a sport of some kind um, computers maths whatever they will hone in on that and focus and then they become hyper focused exactly yeah. and that's one of the markers too is um, what do you, what do you call it limited interest or yes. um, something like that yeah. and hyper focus um, you know on, on a specific yeah. That person can become extremely good at something yeah, and the definitely. best potentially. Yeah. But like really bad at everything else, yeah. <laughs> which is which is fun. Um, these are the kinds of people you would talk about politics and the weather and everyday life. 
issues and they won't be able to hold a conversation because yeah. they'll know nothing and then you'll look at them and be like, oh, this person's so stupid. Nice. Meanwhile, you know, they're building supercomputers and all kinds of weird and wonderful things. So if you ask them about that, you could have the whole night of interesting conversation. Yeah. Whereas if you're just speaking about everyday things, um, like we all do, small talk, no. Yeah. yeah, they don't do small talk. <laughs> exactly. Huh. So is there anything else that you think would be interesting to share about um, your experience in Vietnam with special ed specifically um, that might be interesting to someone who is curious about the topic? Yeah, like I said, it is a developing um, field in Vietnam, um, not wildly recognized. But again, um, still definitely worth it because, like I said, going from one extreme to the next, going from a completely westernized culture where everything is diagnosed, everything is given drugs to, now coming to a different culture where you get to pioneer a new field and you get to be the one to stand up and actually talk about these issues. Um, that is something that can only, I mean, it can only be good that comes from it. Um, and I think, yeah, we need more people out here, um, not just necessarily Westerners, but locals, you know, talking about these issues um, and really kind of studying these issues. I think it's very important, um, getting the same education as we got, um, both from universities as well as in school training on how to deal with these issues. And, you know, like I said, it can only amount to good things in the future and inclusive. I mean, that's... The ideal of education is to be completely inclusive, right. you know, not yeah. limiting them and not throwing them in one specific class or one specific school, but being able to incorporate them in just everyday classrooms, you know, not making them feel like they're any different. I think that's the most important. Yeah. So both recognizing it and trying to assist children but also making it so that they aren't limited in the traditional system. Yeah, mm. definitely. And I think one of the big things here in Vietnam is education is so important and there's so much um, money in it for private institutions. There are a lot of um, government programs, yeah. um, you know, a lot of the, there's a lot of companies that will hire foreign English teachers, yeah. for example, and send them into um, public schools and they have these big contracts with the yeah. government and so there's there's all these opportunities of private companies that yeah. offer a specific program to yeah. bring it into the government uh, school system yeah. and some of them seem like they're doing a really good job of improving what's going on in the public school system yeah. just in terms of normal education English education even math science etc but I think that uh, if those corporations and uh, the kind of private sector would have more awareness of this, yeah. then there could be more, like your company, mm. uh, more institutions that do something that can uh, benefit education in general. In Vietnam. Yes. Yeah, just having the right people to work with a child. Not, right. not push him to the side and like say, oh, well, he's, oh, he's just stupid, it's okay. 
you know, he just has to pass his exams and he'll think. I mean, there's so many cases of people, and, and this is what's so interesting I found is the kids that I used to work with speaking to their parents and having doctors, you know, assess the child. The doctors would assess the parents at the same time. And the parents would come out and say, oh, I actually had ADHD growing up or I, um, you know, had severe anxiety growing up or I am dealing with that now. So we have a lot of parents that probably have the same issues but have just dealt with it over time um, and have learned to kind of overcome it or kind of repress it. Um, And now you have kids who are just a little bit more, you know, vulnerable to it, um, especially I think in the world we're living in today. Um, It's just an anxiety, high, you know, paced, fast-paced world. And children are just, yeah, they're not as, as my dad would say, they're not as strong as they used to be, you know. But then again, times have changed. If we look at the, you know, social and political climate, um, we aren't as strong as we used to be. And, but why are we not that strong? So, like I said, special individuals to work with these kids. And you don't have to be special. Everyone thinks, oh, it takes a special kind of person to work with these kids. No, it doesn't. Um, it just takes that extra amount of time and care, you know. Like anyone can teach any kid, but to be able to teach that one kid that's unteachable, um, I say game on. That's a challenge. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy that people are expected and children are expected to go through this system where it's like, you're in grade two, you should know this. Yeah, you're in grade exactly. three, you should know that. Like, it's, it's arbitrary in a sense, yeah. you know? It's like, how are we going to get uh, children ready and productive for yeah. the working world in 18 years? You know, yeah. it's, uh, it, no one, there's nothing that says it should be in that format Um, and I think that alternative systems of learning uh, are going to be really uh, you know if there's a a move towards ways that can also teach children and um, you know young adults and teenagers different skills that may suit them better as opposed to traditional learning Uh, I mean like the pressure here that Vietnamese students have to do well in the IELTS, uh, yes. you know, the, the prep um, tests that, that yeah. determine if they get into good universities yeah. and passing uh, high school with really high marks so that they can move on and study more. And um, there's so much pressure, and, but that's not really yeah. for everyone. And just the fact that um, everyone is pressurized to do that. It is, it is. I must say, um, I thought again, generalizing, not having traveled, um, this Asian, you know, mentality of competition and, and, and trying to be the best and your child will be the best. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that a lot, you know, year in Vietnam as well. Um, kids are put under extreme pressure where they are literally in school, you know, 12 hours a day. Right. Um, which is just, I think, a catalyst for more learning issues along the way maybe not learning issues maybe more emotional issues you know a lot of stress a lot of anxiety and a lot of the international schools I know because I've been meeting with some of them 
they are trying to change the focus, like take away homework and, you know, do different types of subjects where it's more exploratory learning instead of book learning, um, which is very difficult for, um, I think, Vietnamese parents to kind of think, okay, uh, where's yeah. the books, where's the homework? That's what they used to. Yeah. Now we're taking that pressure off the kids, um, in a sense, and trying different methods, and hopefully it catches on and... Um, you know, we can start making school fun again. Because, I mean, when I was a kid, I don't remember school being that crazy, honestly. You know, not until, like, high school or whatever. But, you know, I remember grade one and grade two, like, still playing a lot of the day. You know, you weren't sitting at your desk all day and having to write, like, essays and, and being able to read and write fluently by grade one. Whereas now that is the expectation. You know, and every kid develops in their own time, you know, so just because a kid can't, you know, read properly by age eight um, doesn't mean, oh, my word, there's a problem. It just might mean, oh, they're going to take a little bit longer. Maybe it's dyslexia. Maybe it's something else. But that's not going to stop them. Right. You know, I know back home we have um, trade schools where kids can go to, you know, after after I think um, a few years in high school. They can switch to a trade school, um, which is actually really good. And um, especially for those kids who, like I said, can't sit at a desk and, you know, write out essays. Give them a trade. Teach them something to do with their hands, um, something innovative, something creative. You know, maybe they'll surprise you. I think a lot of uh, the world leaders are like that, you know, like your Einsteins and Bransons and yeah. yeah, and even what we're doing here at Ninja Teacher with teaching people to teach English, yeah. uh, that's a really interesting skill set, which you don't necessarily have to be very, if you're teaching communi- communication in yeah. English, you don't have to be that academic to be able to do that. It's yeah. a, a skill set of being a good teacher. Yeah. And that's what we're teaching. And one of the things that I'm very interested in and I'm playing around with at the moment is blended learning, so online learning with in-classroom learning, and there's this thing called flipped classrooms, Mm -hmm. uh, where essentially a normal classroom is a a kind of lecture in the classroom, and then you go home and you do your activities as homework, right? But a flipped classroom is you watch the lecture online, and then you go into the classroom to do your activities. And it seems kind of obvious that that should be the way to do it like why sit in a classroom and waste the time in the classroom watching a teacher just tell you information when you can do that at home and then really utilize that classroom time and we already do a lot of that in the course but we're adding even more and more to that so you can really utilize that time you have in the classroom because I don't think online learning is going to completely replace classroom learning anytime soon I don't think it should um, but yeah, there's so many different possibilities in terms of moving forward with different types of education. Yeah. No, of course. And I think this is the time to do it. And I think anyone who's interested in it, um, even if I think most people come to Vietnam just to kind of, everyone's like, oh yeah, I can teach. And then you realize this passion that develops. I've got yes. friends here that came over, you know, um, not ever thinking they would teach and just absolutely loving it now. Yeah. Because it is something that should be a passion. Um, it, it is, it's not just a normal nine-to-five job. Um, if you think it is, you are, you know, definitely mistaken. 
Um, it has to be a passion, I think, because with that passion comes ingenuity, and I think that is where we're going to start changing the setup. We're going to start changing the classroom setup. We're going to start changing the way we deal with kids and adults and parents. And I think it's that. It, it, it comes from a passion. And I think we just need more passionate individuals to take a stand and say, look, I'm sick of this curriculum. You know, Every country um, and every teacher all over the world, you know, they're like, oh, I hate this curriculum, I hate this curriculum. Well, let's do something about it, yeah. you know? And what I like about Vietnam is there are so many possibilities of that uh, ingenuity and changing the system. Um, and I think that I'm excited to be here and in yeah. the education sector because, uh, you know, as a teacher training company and then working with lots of different English centers, uh, you know, we have a sense of what's going on and, yeah. and can also, uh, you know, in the future, we are focusing on the English teacher training, yeah. but in the future, um, teaching Vietnamese students is, is something we're considering about, like opening our own center. Yeah. Um, but also just focusing on teaching our teachers to teach well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sounds like a lot of teaching <laughs> in that sentence. Because then, I mean, if we don't inspire them, like you said, to yeah. be passionate teachers, then they're going to go out to be just someone that's showing up uh, yeah. as though it's a normal job. But like you said, it's yeah. important to bring that enthusiasm. And yeah. that's one of the things that we, we literally mark people on is enthusiasm, because you have to bring that to the classroom. You can't just uh, show up and monotone uh, teach to students, yeah. it's not going to work. Right, so uh, yeah, we're, we're always trying to um, get our people who are, maybe they came over originally for different reasons, mm -hmm. like maybe they wanted to travel and mm -hmm. earn money, but we try and get them at least inspired to be a good teacher for the time that they're gonna be, a good, uh, they're gonna be teaching, even if it's not forever. Yeah. Um, you have to take it seriously while you're doing it. Yeah. And, um, and I think that a lot of people are surprised at how much they like it. Like yeah. you said, uh, they come in and they're like, oh, well, I guess I'll try this, you know, travel, make some money. Yeah. And then they think, oh, wow, this is actually really enjoyable and rewarding. Yeah. I mean, that's how I felt. Like I said, I never wanted to be a teacher. And everyone said, you're going to be a teacher one day, just you watch. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm not saying every day is sunshine and roses. Um, it is difficult. It is draining. Um, but it is, you know, the only thing, well, at least for me, um, no matter how much, you know, how much I've done and how tired I am or, you know, how overworked I am, my mom always told me, you, all you do is talk about those kids, you know? So we had social events, um, out and about with friends, going around, and all you talk about, Sam, is kids. So it just shows you that the, that blood, sweat and tears is all worth it. You know, if it's your passion, follow it. And who knows, it might just sneak up on you like it did me. Um, you might realize you actually have a gift for it. And even if you don't have a gift for it, you can train yourself to become better at it. I think every day I teach, I learn more than what I'm teaching. And that's what I love about it. I'll always be learning. So, and every kid is different. Every kid's gonna teach you something. Um, whether it's testing your patience or <laughs> or just, you know, or just giving you some new information to think about, you know. Um, and that's what I love about it. It's not 
a mundane nine-to-five routine kind of job, it's way different. So, and that's what I enjoy about it. Nice. Well, I think that's a great way to wrap it up. A good yeah. speech at the end, you know? <laughs> I'm good at speeches. <laughs> so, well, yeah, thanks for um, chatting to me. And I think people are going to find this really interesting. Um, let's share it a bit. So at least yeah. uh, in the teacher community, because that's most of our audience, uh, yeah. they are a little bit more aware of that. Yeah. And, all the special needs issues and how we can start to spread awareness on that. Definitely. And yeah, we can chat more about it in the future. I'd yeah. love to hear how things go with your company and Definitely. how things move forward. Cool. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> cool.